or so, eight months, and back here for a brief stay, so we're thrilled to see her, and she's going to share a little bit about what's been going on in her corner of the world. Um, my name is Abby Broyles, and I'm a full-time missionary in Uganda. Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, I've been in Uganda for the past eight months, and to be honest, when I was asked to speak up here, I was very conflicted. <laughs> um, what story was I supposed to pick and share with you from eight months? How was I supposed to summarize eight months of my life into 10 minutes or however long I have? Um, and so I was praying. About two months ago, I was in church, in my church in Uganda, and I was praying, and I was like, God, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to tell them? What, what would you tell them if you were the one standing here? And God spoke to me immediately. He didn't waste any time, and he told me one thing. He said, I don't want you to tell them stories. <laughs> I don't want you to tell them about you know, the sicknesses. I don't want you to tell them about the orphans. I don't want you to tell them about the broken, broken people. What I want you to tell them about is, it basically he said, just praise me. I want you to go, and I want you to praise me. So I'm here today to tell you, praise the Lord, Mukama Yebaziboe, <laughs> in Luganda, that is Mukama Yebaziboe, and um, I'm here to praise the Lord. Yeah, I spent eight months in Uganda. I got sick a lot. And my sicknesses were awful. They were terrible. Um, yes, I saw poverty on levels that I can't even put into words. I can't explain what I saw. I can't tell you. Um, and I don't want to force you to see it either. I talk to a lot of Americans, and a lot of people say it must be such a shock, you know, coming back to like a world of wealth. And to some extent, maybe. Um, but I have come to realize that we all struggle with things, and we can't say that your problems are worse than somebody else's problems, or someone's problems are worse than yours. It doesn't really work like that. You know, everyone has their problems to some extent or another, and we all have to deal with them to another level. And so I'm here to tell you, praise God. He is so good. He is so faithful. He has taken care of me. He has taken care of the people that I love in Uganda. Um, I have a, a family, a community in Uganda, people who hold me up, people who I come to and I tell them, I saw this, I don't know what to do. And they can counsel me and comfort me and point me back to the Bible. And I have seen God, I've seen them suffer, I've seen them get sick, I've seen them struggle financially, but I've always seen them come out the other end as well. And so my testimony if I were to summarize the past eight months of my life into just a few words, it would be praise God. He is worthy of our praise. He is faithful. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. There were dark times when I was in Uganda, but there were times so full of light that I can't even put them into words. So that's what I wanted to say. Um, and there's also a Bible verse that the Lord led me to, which I have used time and time again as I was preparing to move to Uganda. And it's in Psalms 126, chapter 126, um, verse 5 and 6, I would say. And it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And the night before I left Uganda, I cried so hard. I was in a hotel room by myself because I had joined a mission team. Um, that was going to be escorting me back to the States. 
and I cried so hard. I had to say goodbye to most of my friends that night, and so when I went into my hotel room, I started to say to God, I don't know if I'm strong enough for this. I don't know if I'm strong enough to say goodbye. I don't know if I'm strong enough to leave this community that's been supporting me so faithfully. And God sort of rebuked me. He said, stop crying. This is a time of rejoicing. This is a time to come back carrying the sheaves. This is a time to return and tell the people who love you here in America what God has done for you. So that's what I was here to, to tell you. That's what I'm here to say. Um, I have returned with songs of joy. I left Uganda <laughs> in the plane. It was very late evening, and I was in the plane. Um, we had been rushed. Everything was very rushed, but thankfully we made it on time. And I was sitting in the plane, and we were, we were taxiing on the runway to take off. And immediately I felt God speak to me again, and he said, you're supposed to leave singing. <laughs> I was like, literally? So I started singing. I didn't care who was around me. I started singing praises to God. And so as the wheels left the tarmac, I was singing songs of joy. So that is my testimony for you all. Um, I do have a million stories in my head, and I would be happy to have more time to share that with you. So next week on Sunday, um, from 2.30 to 4.30ish, I think, I'll be here sharing more, um, answering questions if you have questions, just things like that. And then again, if you're not available on Sunday, I'll be here on Monday as well from 6.30 to 8.30. So anyway, and I also want to say thank you. This church has been my support system. It really has. And I don't even know how to put into words. Like, I feel safe. Like, I don't feel insecure because I know this church is here holding me up from this side. So I, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Praise God. That's a good perspective, isn't it? Uh, I don't do this often, and I hope they won't hold it against me. Uh, you know, when you serve... Um, Hopefully when we serve in the church or we serve others, Scripture enjoins us to look to God for a reward for, for faithfulness on His part here. Uh, some people have a problem with that. I don't because God doesn't. God says He rewards faithfulness. And so oftentimes we will say, uh, someone will say, hey, I don't want anybody to know what I've done, which I'm all good with. You know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing, sort of. I'm, God will reward me and, and that's all I want. I did want to specifically say thanks to both the worship and the tech teams who are here every Sunday early so that we can worship together. And we're coming off of a long weekend last weekend, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. And so much of what we do requires them to be here and serve us and make sure everything's up and running. So anyway, not taking any reward away from them, but I did want to publicly say thanks especially. The worship and tech teams, yep. I have a little bit of a lengthy introduction here. Um, King David is uh, hailed as a man after God's own heart. You know, he's really one of the key heroes in the Old Testament scriptures and stories. Uh, he's, he is the measure for every king that follows him. The kings that follow him in Judah and in Israel are compared to King David. He's also mentioned in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, one of the faithful. In many, many ways, David experienced God's blessings. 
And yet, even as a faithful man and king living his life to please God, he still suffered much. And with some notable exceptions, of course, his was overall a godly life, but it was not an easy life. David wrote 75 of the songs in the book of Psalms, and many of the songs he wrote were, were called songs of lament, songs of lament. And it's interesting that in the categories that we break down the songs in the book of Psalms into, the, the kind of song, the kind of attitude or expression they are, songs of lament is the single biggest type of song with about 60. And this is particularly interesting to me because the songs are written by a people group in covenant with God in which God said, if you walk with me, if you obey me, if you're faithful to me, your life will be blessed. And again, David certainly had some singular and some notable failures, but here was a guy whose life was characterized by faithfulness to God, and he had a tough tough road and those in covenant relationship with God blessings promised they had a tough tough road generally as well in the life of King David and the rest of the people on earth most blessed by God Israel in covenant trouble and lament were a routine part of their life calling out to God in need thanking God for coming through in those times of need were part of the routine experience of God's people And what was true for David and Israel remains true for us today. And I say this, I add this. um, Abby's seen different kinds of troubles, different kinds of challenges in a different part of the world. But if you're in the West, there's a lot of things we tend to take for granted. The material wealth allows us generally to take some things for granted. And there's also often an expectation that God has promised us blue skies and green lights. What you find in Scripture, He has not. In fact, blue skies and, and green lights were promised to Israel for faithfulness. But the promise to Christians is trouble and persecution. So if Christians are praying according to the will of God, what has Jesus promised us? He's promised us trouble and persecution. We could say He's promised us laments, time to lament. So I think it's really important for us to get our heads and our hearts, our emotions around this song we'll look at this morning is Psalm 27, which sounds strange to call it a song of lament, but you'll see what I mean. But Christians need to do business with this kind of song because we're promised challenges, troubles, persecutions in a way non-Christians are not. To follow Christ in this world means persecution. Life is challenging. Guys, our sins can overwhelm us, right? If you didn't have trouble from anybody outside, you got troubles because you got sin inside. Is that, does anyone else find that depressing at all? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I'll just stop there. The Apostle Paul, check this out. So Paul is blessed, right? Uniquely blessed because he's been given so much. He is the apostle to the Gentiles. You know, Most of the New Testament epistles are penned by Paul. Paul's got a special relationship and no doubt a unique reward from God in heaven. But listen to how Paul describes his his life in one part in 2 Corinthians 7. He said, this was my experience. Conflicts without, I got trouble, I got opposition outside, and fears within. That's his life. I've got conflicts without 
And inside I'm not okay because I've got, I'm filled with fears within. Because life is challenging, because we have our own times of lament, it's appropriate and right to take those things to God in prayer. That's what we see David do this morning in the song that we'll be in. And by the way, it's best to take those challenges, those laments to God first. Sometimes we are very, very quick to tell others what's fallen out in our life. And I don't have a problem with telling others and asking for prayer. That's a good thing. It's just that where are we going first? Is God the first place we're taking our laments, our challenges, our points of suffering, those things in life that we need Him to help us? Either just comfort or provision, whatever that is, is God the first place? Because that's what David's doing. We're in the series, Like a Tree, working through a selection of psalms in the book of Psalms, and this morning it's Psalm 27. Uh, This psalm is probably most well-known for a few of its verses. If you guys know Psalm 27, it's the opening and closing verses, and it's verse 4, sort of in the middle, that you'll know, you'll recognize the psalm by, because they're particularly lovely thoughts. Verse 4 especially, just a particularly lovely thought. But the truth is, those verses that might be memory verses for us, they're in a song of lament. And typically, you might read through that, and if verse 4 is all you read, sort of all that sticks with you, you won't notice that verse 4 is in the context of a song of lament. But it is. That's telling. Alan Ross, in his commentary, sums up Psalm 27 this way, When faced with false accusations, the faithful will find the sanctuary of the Lord the place to strengthen their faith and seek with confident expectation divine protection and guidance. Faced with trouble, the faithful, like David, find the sanctuary of the Lord, the place God's at, as the place where their faith is strengthened and they have a confident expectation out of that. So if you have your Bible or your app, you want to turn to Psalm 27 now if you use a pew Bible. That's page 460. I'm going to read from the ESV. And and guys, I'm going to break this up. This might be distracting to you, but it lets me hit the the high points or the big rocks as we go. And I'll make some comments too on the text itself. So verses 1 through 3, God's a present help whenever trouble comes to David. So you've got to love the way this song starts. Verse 1, the Lord, so all caps in your Bible, the Lord Yahweh, Jehovah, the personal covenant name of God, the eternal I am the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident." Now, that's a pretty good start to any song, but especially a song of lament. You're like, there's no lament here. Well, it's not yet, but that's a great start, isn't it? So David is praising God, and I want to break that down just a little bit. David says, God himself is my light. Uh, Yahweh is the one who shows me life. He lights the way for me to live. And, and God as light is a big theme in Scripture, both Old and New Testament. God as light. God, uh, God shows me truth. God shows me how things really are. God shows me the way to go. Uh, without God, I'm, I have a spiritual darkness. I have a practical darkness. Psalm 18, we looked at just a month or so ago, says in part, 
of, of God, David wrote, it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Guys, you know we're born in spiritual darkness. We're born in darkness. You know, in Colossians, Paul says there that when a person comes to faith in Christ, they're transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son, into the kingdom of light. But David understands that apart from God, he's in darkness too. God illuminates David and David's life. Listen to this is from Job 29 verse 3. Job in his days of suffering, he looks back on his days of blessing and he says in part uh, that those blessed days, that was when his lamp, God's light, shone upon my head and by his light I walked through darkness. Job says there, God was the one that was blessing me. His light was showing me the way, providing the way. Those, those great days, that's because it was God lightening myself and my world. God's the spiritual light in David's life. It's God himself who's showing him what's true and how to live. And for us, guys, we live in an age of, uh, if you will, increased, increased lumens or brightness because we live in this age post-resurrection because the incarnation brought God's light to us in a personal way. If in the past maybe it was a light bulb, well, now it's like the sun has risen because Jesus, the light of the world, showed up. So, you know, it's not, without, it's not by accident that you get these verses around Jesus' birth Luke 2.32, when Jesus is just a baby and he's taken to the temple by his parents, Simeon the old prophet says, this baby is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. You know, the Gentiles walk in darkness, Matthew 4.16. The people dwelling in darkness uh, up in Galilee area, they've seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned that in Christ, God's light specifically, particularly came, not a flashlight, but like the rising of the sun. Matter of fact, you know, the second coming in Malachi 4, it says, when the sun of righteousness rises with healing in his wings, Jesus' presence into the world in the second coming is like the sun rising. John 8, 12, Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, we say for Christian discipleship, following Jesus as the light, that's just the norm. That's the call, isn't it? What does that look like for us? What does it look like for you and I to walk in the light God provides? Uh, let me give a couple, a couple of uh, encouragements the first would be, are we living in the light of God's Word? Are we living in the light of God's Word? Have, is this redundant to say, read your Bible, meditate in your Bible, memorize your Bible? Are we living in the light of God's Word? Psalm 119, verse 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet, it's a light to my path. Where are you and I without the light of God's Word on the wisdom and the knowledge of how to live life well? here and now in a way that pleases God, in a way that blesses us, in a way that blesses others, apart from the light of God's Word, you and I are in virtual darkness along that line because we're, we're going forward without the light of God's knowledge that He gives us in His Word. Uh, verse 130 in Psalm 119, the unfolding of your Word gives life, gives light. Uh, you know, they didn't have uh, codexes. They didn't have books, did they? What did they have in that day? 
They had scrolls. And how did you read a scroll? You unrolled it. The unfolding of God's Word. You, you open that scroll, and what do you get? You get light. There's some kid's show. I, I don't know the name. But the, the beginning is there's a Bible, and the Bible opens. And out of the Bible spreads this light. Well, that's the thought. That it's God's Word is our light. Are we living by the light of God's Word? I hope we are. I, I want to attend that with this also, though. Are we endeavoring to walk by the light of Christ through being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading? Now, what I say here is in no way a discouragement to read your Bible, memorize your Bible, learn your Bible. The Pharisees read their Bible, learned their Bible, memorized their Bible. And when the Word of God in flesh came before them, they crucified Him. They had God's Word, but they were not regenerate. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And for you and I today, we want the value and the light of God's Word. But guys, we also want to walk sensitive to the Spirit. You and I live in what theologians call the age of the Spirit. So on Pentecost Sunday, what happened? The promise Jesus gave the disciples and the apostles was fulfilled. Hang around in Jerusalem, Acts 1 and 2, until the Spirit comes. I promised him, Luke 4, or excuse me, John 14 and 16, somebody just like me, and he's going to reveal, he's going to manifest the Father and the Son to you. He's going to remind you of things. So it happens, the Holy Spirit's given, and from then on, the Holy Spirit, Christ is in the world today by His Spirit in individual believers and in the church gathered. And guys, we cannot just be people of the book and not be people of the Spirit. We're called to be people of the Spirit, and that means living with a sensitivity. So Abby was talking about this, Lord, what do you want? Because the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit not only opens God's Word to us, enables us to understand it, brings the light home for us, but it's the Holy Spirit who quickens thoughts, who gives you that impulse to go say something to someone, go pray for someone, go forgive someone. Uh, Francis Schaeffer tells a number of stories, but they were in desperate needs in Europe post-World War II, and he needed something, and he got a letter with a check. And the check came the day they had to have payment or they were going to be kicked out of their temporary holdings. And the person said, I was lying in bed, and I just felt that, the, that God told me to get up and write you a check and send it to you tomorrow so it would get out. That's what I'm talking about. The Spirit of God is in us. We're supposed to be people of the book and people of the Spirit. And so we don't want to just say, I've read my Bible. Religious people can read their Bible too. And it doesn't mean they're converted and it doesn't mean they're walking according to God's will. We want to be both. We want to be people of the Word and people of the Spirit. Through those venues are we walking in the light God has given us in Himself, through Christ, in the Word, and in the Spirit. God is also David's salvation. He says his stronghold, verse 1. A stronghold is translated a couple different ways. The Hebrew is in Psalms. It's used eight times, and it's either stronghold or refuge. Uh, the Psalms uses a Hebrew term that's translated in English 15 times, fortress also. Again, Psalm 18, verse 2, God is my rock, my fortress. He delivers me, my rock in whom I take refuge. So on one hand, David says, God, you're my light. So you illumine me. You show me the way to go. You show me what's truth and you lead me forward. But then he also says, and God, you're my salvation. You're my fortress. You're my place of refuge. And for us, this probably doesn't strike quite the same way. David's living in a rocky place, 
And also in a place, guy, in a time when your enemy could come up and harm you, armies invading armies, all the time going through Israel. You know, what are you going to do? You build big walls around cities that are typically located on hills. So when the enemy comes through, what do you do? Well, you go into your fortress. You go up on your rock where the city's located, surrounded by a tall, thick wall, and that's where you're safe. It's on a hill, so it's hard for the enemy to come up. Big, tall, thick walls. This is before uh, gunpowder and explosive stuff. You know, they couldn't blow your walls up. You were safe. So David says, not only is God my light, but, but he is the person in the place that when I go there, I'm safe. I'm safe in his presence. He saves me. He surrounds me. There's a lot of Psalms that talk about this. I think uh, Psalm 35 goes through this litany of God's going to be my two different kinds of shields and he's going to be my javelin. He's going to do all this stuff for me. God's that kind of a protection for King David. Verses 2 and 3 flow out of verse 1. Because God himself lights my way, because the power over every power is my place of safety, why would I fear anyone or anything else? If that's true, logically, consistently, why would I fear anyone or anything else? But we do, don't we? David lists a variety of threats, evildoers, adversaries, armies, and war. If you wrote down your own list, what would it be like? What would the elements that come into your life that, that produce songs of lament for you, what would they include? So these are threats, right? Now, these, this could be someone who's, who's talking ill of you. It, it could be that. It could be an evildoer, someone who's slandering your name. It could be all kinds of things, though. What represents threat? Loss of health? Loss of family or friends? It could be a number of things. You know, what does that look like for you and me, if you take David's song and you insert yourself into it, what am I talking to God about? What represents those threats that I want God's light and I want him to be my refuge and my fortress? Whatever the threats are for us in life, we can take David's confidence in God as light and Savior as a cue for our own outlook. Again, uh, one of the things when you, when you study through Old Testament texts, primarily Old Testament texts, you are, you are quoting or you're referencing texts that were written to other people under a different covenant. And so you want to be careful that we apply that Scripture to us in a way that's true to the text and meaningful and true to the covenant that we live under as well. So you remember the Jewish covenant promised long, blessed, abundant life in the land of promise. That was their promise. That was the covenant. It wasn't so much about heaven. It wasn't so much about the great by and by. It was right then and there. And that's not the covenant we live under, and it's not the kind of promises, frankly, again, just thinking of persecution alone, that we might be subject to. David suffered, and he was in a covenant that promised blessing for faithfulness, and he suffered. You and I are going to face threats, and we've got promises. Do you guys like Romans 8, 28? God will work all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you like that verse? It's all good. Man, it's all good. Okay. Well, what's the context of the rest of that? 
So verse 31, if God is for us, this sounds like Psalm 27, does it not? If God is for us, and He is, who can be against us? If God's for me, who can be against me? It's given in the context of verse 36. For your sake we are being killed all day long. That's context. What can separate me from the love of God? Well, nothing, but there's a lot of assaults along the way. And guys, for, for Paul, success is not an abundant life on planet Earth. It's faithfulness until he sees Christ and joins Christ in Christ's kingdom in his direct presence. So as believers, we want to make sure when we're thinking about these songs that we're putting them in New Testament context. Out of the confidence I have in God, His favor, His presence, His power, His promises, I face every enemy and all potential harm with fearlessness and confidence. Excuse me, at least I can, I should. Not because I won't suffer, but because I am in Christ. Christ is in me, and Christ is my victory. Verses 4 through 6, in the place of troubles, David's chief desire is to be safely ensconced in God's presence. Look at verse 4. This is probably the memory verse, if you've got one, from this song. One thing, and it's great too, right? It's quotable. It's singular. You know, it's brief. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or meditate in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Uh, in verse 4, is David's quiet in the midst of the storm? And we want to look at this in two different ways. Verse 4. When I was a new believer and I was reading this, this is, my, this is my image of this verse. Jesus and me under the tree. Jesus and me. Jesus and me in my quiet time. So, right, because this is intimate, Right? All I want, Lord, is, is I want to be with you. I want to see you. I want to hang out with you. So, so here's one concept. It's, it's personal and it's intimate. It's Jesus and me. And that's a great place to start, okay? Jesus and me is a great place to start. It's probably not what David's referring to, though. So Jesus and me, we meet with the Lord in the quiet time. Absolutely. We're with the Lord under the tree. Great. All good. No naysaying that. But there's probably more to it than that. For David to seek the Lord, to hide in, and listen to these key words, his shelter, to be covered by his tent, to offer sacrifices with joy, and to sing to the Lord would be to meet with the Lord at the tabernacle, at the tent, the place where God's presence dwelled inside the Holy of Holies. So I think primarily David, it says, is saying, I want to be at the tabernacle where God is. God's in that tent. Now, you remember in the Old Testament, God says, I will live with you. I'm going to be in the midst of you. And if you remember the Exodus, what's in the very middle of the camp? It's the, it's the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the tabernacle, and that's what Israel camps around. God's right in the middle. 
And where is he located? You know, if you could even say it physically, and I'm not sure that's the right word to use, uh, his presence was above the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the tent or the tabernacle. So if you were a Jew and you were talking about going to meet God in that day, you're going to the tent. And if you go to that tent, what do you think you might find? You know, there'd probably be some priests hanging out, right? And they would be making sacrifices to God. So there'd be some priests hanging out. And you know, there might also be some other people like you hanging out for fellowship or peace offerings or fellowship offerings. And they'd be bringing their prayers and their petitions, maybe their laments. And depending on when David kicked this off, you see it in, in the temple under Solomon, but it was David who organized the choir and the singers. Maybe he showed up when they were there too. Does this sound familiar? That you, Where do you think, if David was here today, where would he be hanging out to do this thing he's talking about? He'd be hanging out in the church, wouldn't he? He'd be coming here on Sunday morning. And that would be his point of connection with the Lord. Not naysaying the Jesus and me, but saying in context, this is probably what David had in mind. That I want to be where God is. Where is God? He's in that tent right there. And matter of fact, when you go to Ezekiel and you see God's judgment coming down on Jerusalem, before it occurs, Ezekiel tells us the prophet in Babylon sees the glory of God leaving the temple. And it's this thing of stages. It's, it's in the temple and then it's above the city and it's above the wall. And then he's gone. The real We talk about real presence. That's a theological term some groups of Christians use related to the Lord's Supper. The real presence was in the temple and in the tent. That's where the real presence of God was. And so when David's saying, I want to hang out with you, Lord, almost certainly he's talking about gathering together at the temple of his day, the tent. So while we have the privilege of meeting with God in prayer and praise personally at any time in any place, the closest thing we have to the place of God's presence in reference to David's song is the gathering of the church. Listen to this language from Paul out of 2 Corinthians 6.16. We are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. God said, I'll make my dwelling among them and I'll walk among them and I'll be their God and they'll be my people, Exodus 29.45. Paul says, we are the temple of the living God. You are individually a temple of God. Your body, this is 1 Corinthians also, 1 Corinthians 6. Your body is a temple of the living God, but corporately the church is Christ's temple on earth. If I want to draw near to God, if I want to enjoy His presence, there's no better place to do that than in the meeting of the church. Now I'll grant you, we call buildings churches, and that's, it's handy, but it's really a misnomer, isn't it? Because people are the church. A building is a building. Now, I'll tell you, uh, when we were in London and I was in St. Paul's Cathedral, one of my big rocks, you know, when we were going to be in England, I could sit there all day and pray and just savor. You know, you got this great space. It's a, it's a super place to sit down. But guys, I didn't get there what I get here when this church corporately worships. Y you know... Um, God inhabits the praises of His people. You know, if even two or three, and this isn't quite the right application, but even if two or three in Christ's name gather together, He says, 
I'm there with them. So when we really want to seek the Lord, guys, one of the things we really want to do is we really want to make sure we're in the fellowship of the saints. We're gathering in the temple. That means with each other. We're doing the, that would be the equivalent of what David was doing. Ephesians 1 is another verse along that same line that we are not only the temple, we are Christ's body. If we love the thought expressed in verse 4, hanging out with the Lord, drawing near to Him, seeing more of Him, we do so by gathering in and with the church of Jesus Christ. Now I'd also hasten to say, uh, sometimes, this is a judgment call, sometimes a person might be really worn out, tired, they might say, you know what, I, I'm just hunkering down. I'm, I'm cocooning for right now. And, and there's a time and a place for that, right? There's a time and a place for that. But we want to be careful. That's not where we live. We want to come out of the cocoon. We want to make sure that we're enjoying God's presence in His people. I also want to say this, and this is again making an Old Testament text as we apply it, applying it to ourselves in the ways that most matter. The one thing you and I ultimately seek is not to be found in life on this earth and this time. David's one thing under his covenant was, God, I want to be with you, right? There you're in that tent, that's where I want to be. Um, what we seek, the one thing we seek biblically, New Testament, cannot be had on this earth. Our salvation isn't primarily about life here and now, but fullness of life then, future then, and there, in the Father's house, in Christ's presence, and ultimately in a new heaven and new earth. We are a heavenly people, Philippians, on temporary assignment on earth, 2 Corinthians, ambassadors for Christ, waiting with creation for the promise of full redemption. So we want to make sure God's promise to us is not abundance of life, long life, in, you'll see David says the land of the living here on earth. That's not the key promises for Christians. Uh, we want to live well. We want to live faithfully while we're here. We want to enjoy the good things God gives us, but ultimately that's not the deal. Titus 2.13, we are waiting for our blessed hope. Our happy hope has not occurred. And what is it? It's the appearing of our great God and Savior. The parousia, it has not happened. Christians are meant to be looking for that so we want to be faithful here and now but we want to do so with an eye on where we really want to be is where christ is right now christ physically is in heaven but we're waiting for his call so that we see him and then we become like him because we see him first john says as he is so as we're thinking about this absolutely drawn near to god in the in the the temporary challenges, the laments of our own life, but we're ultimately looking for a promise that is the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells and we're with Christ forever. Verses 7 through 12, uh, David prays for help. He's doing what God has commanded and he asks for God's help in that moment with confidence because he knows he's acting in faithfulness to God. Verse 7 Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? That's a quote from Psalm 105, verse 4. Uh, this was quoted when David brings the Ark of the Covenant in. So we know that this was said before Psalm 27. The Ark of the Covenant being brought in 
You said, Lord, seek my face. And David says, Lord, I'm doing exactly as you said. I'm seeking your face. So, verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. God's face meant his favor. God was looking on you with blessing for God's face. Uh, Number six, if you think of the Levitical blessing, the Lord make his face shine upon you. For God to see you, to look upon you, his face to shine upon you was his favor and his blessing. That's the thought here. David says, don't hide your face from me. If you think of a child uh, maybe playing in the backyard and they call out to their parents and they say, watch me, look at me. There's that sense of my parents are looking, I'm important, I'm special, my parents are looking on me. I have their attention. And David says, Lord, please don't hide your face, don't uh, turn not your servant away in anger. Lord, I want to know you're looking on me, your face is towards me in blessing, that we're right, we're in right relationship. He said, O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation." And here I'll pause, and this is a small point, but it's a big one to me. Verse 10, I do not like the ESV translation, and I'll tell you why. This is the way it reads. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, there's nothing in Scripture to record David being rejected by his parents. And if you look at the note the ESV uses, and if you look at most of the translations in English, you'll see that this is, I think, better translated as a conditional clause. It's not that they did reject him. David is saying, even if my parents, my mother who gave me birth, my mom and dad who raised me, loved me, loved on me, care about me like no one else, even if they would reject me, the point is, the Lord will take me in. No matter how bad it could get for me on earth regarding anyone else, God is always available to me as my light and my salvation and my refuge it'll never be otherwise verse 11 teach me your way O lord lead me on a level path because of my enemies that's the challenge verse 12 give me not up to the will of my my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me they're breathing out violence this is the challenge you see it's kind of general or generic But that's what's going on in the moment. Enemies, adversaries, people who are slandering him, lying about him, against him, breathing out violence. This is his issue, and it involves all these people singing to bring him down. Uh, And yet, verse 8 says, You said, seek me, and I'm seeking. So I'm in trouble, but Lord, you, you told me to come find you, to come seek for you when I was in trouble, and that's exactly what I'm doing. So David knows this. He has a level of confidence because he says, Lord, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm seeking your face. And so I have confidence that you're going to answer my prayer, that you're going to intervene and you're going to help me against all these adversaries coming against me. We were in home group uh, last, I guess, guess this was just last week. I think it was Rick mentioned Hebrews 11:6. 6. You know, we can pray all kinds of prayer. Sometimes prayer is just, I pour out my heart to God. Lord, I'm having a tough day. When we're praying, um, another way to pray, the best way to pray is to pray God's word back to God. If you want to know God's answering your prayer, we say in Jesus' name, sometimes like it's a rubber stamp. It's not a rubber stamp. 
It means I'm praying what Jesus would pray. Well, if I pray God's Word, you'll see throughout the Scriptures, that's the model of prayer. I pray God's Word. If I pray God's Word, I have a level of confidence. God's going to answer because I know, Lord, this is what you want. Well, this thought here, Hebrews 11:6. 6, um, if my memory, uh, for without faith it's impossible to please God, those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. For David, he said, Lord, you told me back in the day to seek your face. I'm doing it. I'm confident you're going to hear me. For Christians today, if we are diligently seeking God, we have a confidence in prayer because we can say to God, Lord, I'm doing exactly what you said. I'm seeking you diligently for this thing that I need your help with. And you'll see at the end, there's, there's a second part of this, which is waiting on God. But Lord, I'm diligently seeking you. You remember Jesus said about prayer, uh, we, we knock and then what do we do? And then we keep knocking. We seek and what do we do? We keep seeking. We ask and what do we do? We keep asking. That's that thought of diligence. So when you and I go to God diligently, we're doing just the same thing David did. We say, Lord, it's what you said to do. And this is what we're doing. So we're confident you're going to intervene and you're going to interact in this thing. Don't necessarily know when or how, but we know, Lord, we've done what you said. We know you're good for the rest. We can and should ask others to pray for us, but to be clear, we want to do what David did. We want to bring those things to the Lord. Verse 13 and 14 are David's confident conclusion. David's confident God's going to interact. Verse 13, I believe, and this gets translated different ways too. ESV is good, I think. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Remember, for the Jew, it's in the land of the living. It's not going to heaven. It's not the deal. It's to be in the place of God's blessing, in the land of promise. That's what they're after, in the land of the living. He says, I'm confident this is what's going to happen. Because of that, he now turns around to others and he says, wait for the Lord be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David has confidence that God will hear him and will answer. Now, I want to I switch gears just slightly as we wind down. Psalm 27, you know, when in David's life is that? It's a guess, um, but it's not the end of his life. It's, it could be the beginning, could be the middle, somewhere in there. Psalm 18 is the psalm we looked at in March. Psalm 18 is a somewhat unique because... Psalm 18, almost verbatim in its entirety, is repeated in 2 Samuel 22. Now, in 2 Samuel 22, it's near the end of David's life. So this is the significance. Near the end of David's life, he looks back on all his interactions with God. Okay? End of the life, I look back. What was my interaction with God look, uh, look like, starting at verse 47? The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, Exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. That's Psalm 27 again, isn't it? He's my rock and my fortress. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me. Remember, God's enemies are David's enemies. Who brought me out from my enemies. I'm assuming that in part reflects God's answer to his request in Psalm 27. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. That sounds like Psalm 27. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I'll sing praises to your name. 
Great salvation he brings to his king, shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. David looks back on that life of laments and he says, man, God was always there. You know, my salvation, the rock of my salvation, my refuge, he was always there. I counted on him, he was there. Listen to this, a little bit along the same line, a little bit of, of contrast. This is how the Apostle Paul looked back on the challenges near the end of his life. So this is New Testament setting. This is the age you and I live in. And by the way, he was alone and persecuted and in prison. But the Lord stood by me. Everybody else, he says, has forsaken me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message, the gospel, might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Remember, Jesus is the light to the Gentiles. Well, it was Paul that was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. So he looks back on those challenges in his life and he says, you know what? God delivered me from them. It was just like Daniel in the lion's den. God delivered me. The lions couldn't take me out because God preserved my life. And then he says this, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. He will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That's our goal. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now let me ask you, what's our best guess of how Paul's life ended? Execution. Beheaded under Nero. Was he delivered from every evil deed? Well, ultimately, yeah, because he was brought safely into Christ's heavenly kingdom. Guys, that was a good day for Paul. Do you know, and this is serious, in the early church, church leaders had to tell people, don't you try and go out and get arrested and executed. Because they were. Because they wanted to be martyred for Christ. They understood that to die, Philippians 1, and be with the Lord was far better. So it was an evil deed that was done to Paul, but it ushered him into Christ's presence. And that's Romans 8.28. God turned that evil, wicked deed against an innocent person into a great day for Paul. You know, ushered into Christ's presence where he'll be forever. That's not a bad day. So David looks back and says, God was always there for me. Paul looks back and he says, I've even been saved from the lion's den. And every evil thing, Isaiah's got a passage about this, you know, every weapon formed against me. It's not going to work. So do what you will, do your worst. But ultimately, Christians are going to either hear Christ's call and join him in the air or die and be escorted into Christ's presence. And friends, that, that is our hope. That is our hope, not just deliverance from trouble now, but seeing Christ face to face. Well, you've been patient. If you would, uh, rise with me and we'll conclude as the worship team comes up. I'd like to pray together a theme out of Psalm 27. You can pray with me. Lord, we were created in your image, made to know you, redeemed to live with you forever. Let all life's challenges and blessings remind us of our one great and singular need to know you, to be in your presence, to enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, for his glory. 